Hello everyone, this is Bill and you're listening to Nonprofit Tangent. I've got uh, two interviews today, two great organizations, really interesting, very, very different from each other. Um, one is called Bill Tunisia, that's B-I-L Tunisia. It is a um, youth-driven, youth-led conferences um, organization. And I'm also interviewing an organization called Purses for Nurses, which sells vintage purses to raise money for nurses to take trips to developing countries and support healthcare in those areas. So the first interview I want to get going here is with Abdel Karim, who is the founder of Bill Tunisia. Um, I got connected to him on Twitter, actually. Someone I saw retweeted an old episode that I had posted with uh, Kelly Luis from the Impact Travel Alliance. And I was like, uh, you know, I don't get a lot of retweets. So I reached out and I said, uh, thanks for the retweet. Do you know anyone in Tunisia who runs a nonprofit? And it turned out he did. So it was easy. It was not at all the kind of organization I was anticipating being connected to, but it was great. I really loved uh, hearing um, about this kind of unique organization. And uh, he's a passionate guy. And, and we ended up talking for a really long time. Um, so the interview actually really doesn't quite do justice to our whole conversation, but uh, I think you'll get a real good sense of, of what he does and what um, what they're working on with that. Oh, wait, um, I will say that because of reasons, um, the audio got a little messed up, um, particularly on my end. Uh, I don't know if I want to blame myself, but let's just say it's not Abdel Karim's fault. But I did have to re-record some of my questions. It's going to sound a little awkward, but I think it'll be fine. All right, you'll be fine. Just relax. And here's the interview. Of the, tell you about the whole story and how this did this, this happen. Um, yeah, please do. Yeah, I'm gonna talk you know, really quick about myself. I'm, uh, um, I myself, you know, very active with civil society, with NGOs, and so on. So uh, I have a IT background uh, and involved in many, you know, NGOs projects. I also work, you know, with the, you know, uh, like United Nations, you know, UNDP, and in 2010. We did, I did join the first, uh, you know, organizer for TEDx. You know TEDx? Yeah, sure. So uh, I was part of the first team, and I did see a lot, a lot of, you know, upcoming things. But, you know, TEDx is a little, was little, you know, not enough for me. So in 2011, I did gather a group and said, okay, let's, you know, make a, an alternative, you know, conference. Uh, because TEDx was, you know, already, you know, set up in Tunisia. It was doing a great job. And I did take a look around, you know, I did contact a lot, a lot of, you know, uh, conferences, you know, that because remember that in 2010, 2010, 29, all those years, the, the, the TEDx style conferences were really, really, you know, a big, you know, big hit all over the world. I did, I did contact, you know, Shell Conference, I don't know if you know it, PopTech, uh, you know, I did look like a... Uh, sent emails and called, you know, dozen of those, you know, alternative, you know, conferences. And some of them said that they have no interest to, uh, to you know, to be in Tunisia. Uh, there is a funny one who asked, you know, 2,000K USD for, uh, you know, for a per year for license. 
<laughs> and two hundred k. My God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after all, after long search, I came across a conference based in um, in Houston. Uh, it's called Bill Conference. Bill with one L. B I L. Mm-hmm. And I sent them an email. I got a very warm, you know, uh, reply back from the org- you know the main organizers and say, okay, I'm gonna start the Bill Conference in Tunisia. First, when it did start, you know, the bill was look-alike to, to Ted, to Ted Dix, you know, totally look-alike. The first year, it was literally, you know, boring. We did have, you know, a couple of conferences in two cities around, the, the, around Tunisia. I don't know if you all know Tunisia. It's North Africa. It's a very nice country. You should, you know, you know <laughs> check it and visit. And um, it was really the audience and the speaker, they were all seniors, you know. Uh, you know, people who have experience. You're going to see you now that the whole story is not about, you know, the conference model. It's totally different, but, you know, a different thing. It was, yeah, it was quite enough to learn about, you know, event management, social media for events and so on. It was, yeah, it was, it was nothing special. And 14, I came, there was a, you know, a group of, um, uh, you know, young students from uh, high school. They came across me and said, okay, um, uh, we heard about the big conference and we want to make, you know, uh, you know, one in our high school. It's uh, some kind of pioneering school. It was one of the oldest high schools in the city. I said right away, okay, you got my full support. Uh, so they made that session. It was absolutely, absolutely outstanding. It wasn't about the speakers only. It was about, you know, how... The whole team we working together, and how this did change built Tunisia from a boring, you know, look-alike, you know, uh, and conference to something new. Okay, um, to wrap it up, we have like between twenty and fifty sessions per year since since twenty fifteen. So uh, uh, let's say until this in the moment right now, we have like two hundred sessions. It did happen uh, in most of the cities in Tunisia, in a lot of high schools and universities. But this is nothing compared, you know, what's going inside. You know, the fact that, the, what is a conference? And a conference, you know, you know, uh, people coming from different backgrounds and telling them their stories inspire the audience. It's always, you know, short talk about 15, 20 minutes. There is always, you know, uh, music and dance and so on. But this is nothing. This is nothing compared, you know, to the styles that have been created along, you know, the experience from uh, uh, the singer, you know, like I have an agenda to have a different style, having, you know, a conference outdoor, having conference, you know, with different, you know, music performance. And the, the main, the main, you know, success of this experience was that the whole thing, is powered by young people. I have no idea how they get, you know, those people. So how old are the people that are participating in these events and organizing things? Between 12 and 25. Okay. So, yeah, very, very young, very, very young getting involved. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Just imagine a group of, you know, you know, students from high school organizing an event with 500 people a whole day with 12 
eight to twelve, you know, senior speakers. Most they are mostly young or senior. You know, uh, uh, when I'm saying, you know, uh, the speakers that are mostly about you know, 20, 25, 30, 40, that kind of age, they have, there are celebrities, they, have, they, they are, you know, all kind of catering, they are, you know, sound system, they are, you know, video coverage, photo coverage. And you have a guy in front of you who, has, who is a leader of the group who is 16, who is barely, barely 16. They, it's their first project, main project, it's, it's their first enterprise. They got, you know, the funding, they got sponsorship, they call, you know, they call, you know, um, the celebrities, they call people, they organize them. They, it's amazing. It's amazing. And you have to wrap that with what we do also kind of other, you know, activities. We do, you know, trainings, we do, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, team building. The main heart beating of this organization are the young people. We have a lot, you know, we do a lot of mistakes. But to embrace, you know, f failure, we are open, you know, to ideas. Not open, you know, the, all the ideas are good. Every time they come across, say, okay, we have this idea, and in my head, it sounds, okay, this is stupid, this is strange, this is weird, it won't work. But I said, okay, do you think this is going to work? going to say, okay, yeah, it's going to work. And they, they put it into the test, and it turns out it's amazing, you know, idea. What are some of the most innovative or craziest or most interesting ideas that you've had in your conferences? Yeah, let's make you know, a whole conference about anime. You know anime? Japanese cartoons? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's how, let's, uh, in one day, you know, talk about anime. So, okay, this is what work. Uh, it turns out, you know, that because our ed education system doesn't, you know, really respond to the modern, you know, uh, modern you know, needs for students. The anime is like a refuge for them. They learn a lot from those cartoons, more than they do in school. <laughs> it's strange. Uh, okay, having, you know, conference outside, what tells of crazy uh, ideas. There is a lot of crazy ideas. You know, I'm going to tell you about five, about, you know, it's youth-driven. Second thing, it's unfunded. You don't care about the sponsors, you can buy the funds, because, you know, we did try, you know, with some funds and some, you know, people, some, you know, some words they have like, uh, oh, we have the stone dust, you have to do that, do that. Okay, screw it. We are going to do things on our side with the few money we have. Third thing, you have to use what you have. On the way, say so you, 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 you have to use your camera, your own camera. You have to use, you know, the free, uh, the free, you know, space we have because, you know, through the time we did, you know, find out that, you know, government um, centers like, you know, we have here, they are free for everybody if you ask for that. And fifth thing is keep learning and keep teaching. Keep learning from the, the young people uh, and you know and keep teaching you know there is always you know training session there are always lessons and <clears throat> just you know uh, a few days ago there was a session in Tozer in southern city very beautiful you know southern city and the organizers that were between let's say 12 and 15 and they did have a huge success because you know people who are trying to make you know okay uh, uh, they, they gather people and say, okay, okay, let's 
create an event for the young people that they can enjoy, they can express themselves. No, this is totally wrong. If you want young people to enjoy the event, you have to let them organize it. Mm-hmm. Never say the word, never, you know, try to, you know, like have rules. We have the rules, we have recommendation. The best thing to teach people, uh, to teach young people is through the, the other young people. But when the young people, they advise the other young people, it works very, very good. And can you tell me again, when was the first time that a uh, group of young people, that high, first high school, reached out to you to do a conference? Uh, it was uh, 2014. It was uh, the first, it was April 2014. Right. Have they been able to stay involved? Have they stayed involved with the, with the conference? Yeah, yeah. They are, the, <laughs> they are veterans and they are, you know, they did, you know, some of them did start their own NGOs already. Others did start, wow. yeah. Others did start their own, you know, startups. You know, it has it has been, you know, some good, you know, four years since that. So, they did know a lot. I'm gonna tell you one story about one of them. He was a photographer. He was covering events, and now he have uh, because he was covering all the events and learning from the events, getting involved, having you know new customers. He has now a team of 20 people with a company, I'm going to say, worth, you know, like a million dollars, easily. So this is someone that's four years at most removed from high school? Uh, right, now, right now, I think he's 20, something. Okay. That, he's, he's, tw- he's 20, yeah. So, that's amazing. <laughs> they get really, really you know, engaged because uh, secondary you know, education, is full of surprises, even in remote cities in Tunisia, with people as young as 12, 13, maybe 14 years old, full of the ideas. And uh, the question is, why those people enjoy coming on a Sunday? Because usually it's coming Sunday for a full day with people on stage speaking about, you know, things. I'm going to tell you why. If you turn on, you know, Tunisian TV, it's all about boring programs and a lot, a lot of politi- political politics show when parties are debating why they are, you know, the best party in the world. The Tunisian TV turns out to be, you know, I can tell you, okay, I'm going to tell you something. The national Tunisian TV is worse than Fox, or maybe maybe CBS, something like that. So it's it's a or even worse, it shows about people telling those stories, how they get scammed or they get raped, or you know, there is no positive vibes. And those events that you know they are that became really, really, really popular. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something. Right now in April, I'm gonna have like 20, 20-ish session from north to south. It's huge, and. Um, so this month you're going to have 20 different conferences. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. It's it's huge, you know. You know, it's it's, it's usually a Sunday. It's usually speakers around, you know, a theme, like, like theme with positive vibes, like you know, um, youth and uh, uh, you know about you know uh, progress, about you know positive vibes, about you know good things that they want to see. So they are they are building somehow. A platform of communication with youth with a lot of hope that the media or the government ha- did you know fail largely to provide mm-hmm. in Tunisia the media is really really old I mean the, the program uh, you know are meant for old people 
really there are no use in any way in those you know uh, channels so people are they did create you know their own uh, model A month or two ago, I was at a networking event run by Be Social Change in New York City and sponsored by uh, our old friend, the Impact Travel Alliance and uh, Kelly Luis. So I went to this event and um, it was announced to the whole crowd that I was running a podcast. And if anyone was interested in being interviewed or being part of the podcast, that they should come up to me. And the first person that came up to me was um, Melissa from Purses for Nurses. So we agreed to uh, exchange some information, and a couple emails later, I got a chance to uh, interview her at the Center for Social Innovation, which I had never heard of before. And uh, but Melissa introduced me to me. It's an amazing little space um, in Manhattan, and I'm hoping to get a lot more involved there. So, uh, anyways, here's my interview with Melissa and Purses for Nurses. Social innovation mm-hmm. uh, with Melissa Zook, like book, That's right. and we're going to talk about nurses for purses. Or I'm going to hear about nurses for purses. Purses uh, for nurses. God, oh. <laughs> Everyone it up. It. Okay. Not just you. Purses for nurses. <laughs> yeah. I said nurses for purses, yeah. which doesn't make any sense. Okay. Um, uh, tell me about how this idea got started. So Purses for Nurses is a nonprofit that funds volunteer nursing trips to developing countries, and we support those trips by recycling and selling secondhand purses. Um, Leading up to the founding of Purses for Nurses, I'd never done any sort of entrepreneurial venture at all. Um, I'd barely even traveled abroad in my younger years. But as I got into nursing and started to have money, I started to do a lot more traveling and um, started to discover in countries like Peru and India um, and other parts of Latin America that there was just this absurd need for healthcare professionals. Um, So many of the people in the local populations didn't have basic things covered. They, They couldn't even wash their hands in clean water. Um, they had parasites from drinking and swimming in the river water, um, and they had no real resource for their healthcare needs. And as a new nurse, I just thought how amazing it would be if more nurses wanted to do volunteer work in other countries. Well, because I was still a young nurse and didn't feel that I had the skills to um, to essentially donate uh, to those communities yet, I looked for ways to get involved in New York and. I looked for ways to get out of the bedside nursing practice in New York. And I actually ended up 
um, in a really crazy situation a few years out of nursing school where I uh, was propositioned by a patient, by a patient's family member at the hospital to essentially take care of his father in their home. His father had had a very devastating stroke and he wanted me to set up an ICU in their home and run a staff of 20 to 30 people managing his care. You're running a one person hospital. Yeah. You're doing the entire hospital. It was just bananas. Um, Yeah. I mean, the little I know of you, you seem like a really cool person and really (laughs) awesome. But what, what led this person to say like, Oh, that's the, person I want running a one-person hospital out of my house? <laughs> um, vulnerability. <laughs> just, I think he looked at me and went, honestly, I think he looked at me and said, I can manipulate her. I can get her to do whatever I want. And anyhow, uh, long story short, that case eventually reached a point where I could no longer work there. I no longer wanted to work there. About a year out, um, I stepped away from it. And in my own mind, I was so impressed with how much I'd accomplished in the past year that I knew I couldn't go back to bedside care. And I knew that my talents were better put to use doing something bigger, something I'd always wanted, which was volunteer work in developing countries. I wanted to to create something new. I wanted to put my efforts towards something uh, more impactful. Um, So I started pulling together all the ideas I'd had over the previous months and years. Um, At that point, I'd done some volunteer work in other countries and um, I could really see where small changes could have big impact, things like hand washing, clean water, um, basic first aid, stop the bleed training, uh, things like that. And kind of two things happened at once at this point, um, because I was working towards funding my own trip uh, to do volunteer work. And I was also, in the back of my mind, concerned about doing something bigger, something more long-term, not just a one-time trip. And my boyfriend at the time, Andres, um, he he has a business background and he was definitely an ideas man. He had a phone full of lists of ideas. And one of those ideas was actually something named Purses for Nurses. And I was going through all these ideas in his phone and what is this? What is this Purses for Nurses thing? And he's like, oh, that was like two years ago, you know, I'd read some article about nurses in Africa not having anything to carry their supplies in. So I thought about donating my sister's handbags to these nurses in Africa. And it was like, boom, brainstorm, like just overwhelmed with excitement and ideas because I knew that we could take that sort of idea, that nugget of an idea. And instead of sending handbags to nurses abroad, we would use the money to fund people educating and treating abroad because people are so much more powerful than just stuff who needs more stuff what they really need is education and empowerment and healthcare. so from there i said andy can i take this idea can i run with this like this is what i want to do with it and he was like of course awesome and he ended up becoming my one of my first board members there were three of us that started this together and he was like let's do it from there i reached out to a bunch of friends and family um I essentially sent everyone handwritten letters asking them to send me their purses and told them what I was going to do with them. And I got so many handbags. I got hundreds and hundreds of handbags in the first few months. I said to myself, I can't possibly just spend all this money on a trip for myself. So when it went, just, uh, I'm sorry. So when is this? When did you? So the brainstorm was in 2000. 
2014. Okay. Yes, it was early 2014 when I left that home care case and simultaneously decided I'm going to start something of my own and I'm not going back to the hospital full time. So you've been doing this for four years now? Four years, yeah, since the nugget of the idea. Oh, okay. oh cool. All right, yeah. that's longer than I thought you were. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, um, I was overwhelmed with handbags. I, I'm i from Las Vegas originally, and I took a trip home to visit some friends and family, and people were like coming up to me with trunkfuls of purses. And I had to find a way to ship them all back to New York, and then once I got them there, I had to figure out how I was going to sell them all because they didn't just turn over immediately. There was right. definitely a process to that, and figuring out sales was, was a totally new skill that I did not have at the time. Um, yeah, so from there, it, it was just kind of step by step, like one thing happened after another. Right. So wait, I have, I'm kind of curious. So when you get a purse, yeah. so I have, oh. Oh my gosh, what is that? This, oh, I broke oh, it. Oh, wow. So here, all right. So you get a broken purse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Like, what do you look at? What's, how do you evaluate it? Very neat. Um, oh, the price tag is in there. I was going to ask you. We're not going to say what that says. Um, I think it's underpriced, actually. Is it? Yeah. I um, see. I have a good eye for these things. So this is this is very cool. This actually is this beautiful little. It looks vintage. If I didn't know better, I'd say it's a vintage like satin clutch, like an evening bag. Um, so some of the first things we look at when we get a bag are just general quality, um, general condition. Are there stains? Um, look, I fixed it. Uh, are there stains? Are there rips? Are there tears? Do the zippers work? Um, are the pockets sewn in? Is there stitching coming out anywhere? If it's in excellent condition, um, then we start to look at the brand and try to figure out valuation, which is an intensive process um, that requires quite a bit of research, um, which we usually work with fashion interns <laughs> to help us figure out how much things are worth. Yeah, and then from there, if it's if it's worth more than say ten bucks, uh, we'll try to resell it either on a website or a flea market um, through some means to to turn it into funding for these purses. So Condition this one this one might not make the ten dollar limit. It'd be so close. It'd be close. So I was actually looking for something like a little bit more quirky, but this ended up being this is kind of cool. You know, I've seen some really weird stuff. Yeah, that. Um, I've seen like hot neon green fur purses. I've seen, a, I, we actually have a purse in our possession that I don't know what to do with because the tag on it says in the state of California, it contains agents known to cause cancer. <laughs> so what the hell does a nursing organization do with a purse that causes cancer? I don't know. We have to just hold it and pray for the best. Also very memorable. I can think of two. One was the first Burberry bag we ever received. Um, we have this amazing anonymous donor from I want to say Minnesota she sends us a box from a UPS store um, about twice a year a big box and now we know her her last name because her last name shows up on the, the return label but it's not a home address so we can't even send her a thank you but every time we get one of her boxes we're just overjoyed because they're full of stunning barely used handbags and that is best case scenario what an organization like ours could hope for because that's the stuff that has the highest resale value and has the most impact. Um, these particular bags, I mean, Burberry, Longchamp, Rebecca Minkoff, Dunium Burke, Brahmins. This is like cream of the crop, beautiful stuff. 
And I will use this opportunity to tell you a little bit about our impact, which is really exciting. Right. That's obviously the whole um, point of this, right? That is the whole point. <laughs> yeah, let's get to that. And what's so cool about this is that we actually started looking at our metrics um, probably way later than we should have been, but <laughs> this is a relatively new discovery for us. Um, we found that it takes, based on the kind of work that our nurses do when they go abroad, it costs about $2.50 per person served. So a $40 handbag that you buy from our website serves 16 people, which means 16 people in a place like Iquitos, Peru, off of that $40 handbag get access to nurses, doctors, an entire team of people, and oftentimes medication for their ailments. So if they have parasites that they've acquired through river water, um, we can give them antiparasitics, or if they have an infection from a cut that they weren't able to clean out, we see a lot of those. We can give them antibiotics. Um, if they have a cold or a cough, we can give them medicine for that. Um, that's two dollars and fifty cents per that's person amazing. served. That's so, amazing. I was gonna, I was gonna take out my calculator, but I'm yeah, I have it memorized by now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's amazing. Like, yeah, that so you get amazing. a handbag out of it, and on top of it, you're serving sixteen people healthcare. I mean, forty dollars doesn't even—it's barely a copay in the U.S. <laughs> to like have a checkup. Right, that right. doesn't include the medications, your labs, or anything else. So. The fact that we can do that is pretty awesome. That's great. Yeah. So who are your who are the who are the some of the more memorable patients that you have served or situations? Can you oh wow. Um, so this is speaking from my personal volunteer experience because we do have our first organizational trip coming up this June in about three weeks. Um, but from my experience, um, I'd say the most memorable are the kids because. Oftentimes when we get to these communities, the adults that we serve have been living in these situations for so long, they almost accept that this is the norm at this point. But these kids, you know, a kid comes in with a cold or a cough, and that's still, like, a kid is a kid no matter where you go. And they just, I don't know, like, seeing seeing them smile when you, like, fix an issue, like, when you fix something that's ailing them, or... Um, giving someone a solution to a problem that they've dealt with for years. Oh man, I had this woman um, that I saw about two years ago when I was in Peru. And at that point, my Spanish was actually pretty good. And I was able to communicate with the locals on, on a pretty um, conversational level. And this woman approached us and was talking to one of the doctors about her back pain. And the doctors in this particular group were kind of of the mindset of like, shoot, like we don't, we can't do surgery on this lady. We can't um, prescribe her any muscle relaxers. Like there's nothing we can do that's going to fix this. And having just had back problems myself a few months prior, I remembered all my physical therapy moves that I'd been taught. And what she was experiencing looked and sounded like a slipped disc, which was very similar to what I was dealing with. Now, we couldn't do a CT scan to be sure. We did a couple of, you know, stretches with her and tests with her to kind of guess about what was bothering her. Um, she didn't have any traumatic injuries to the area, so we were pretty cons uh, pretty certain that she didn't have anything broken. Um, but in that moment, it was just my inclination to teach her the physical therapy moves I learned, to give her the most basic, easy healing things. And she was so grateful. She was, like, eternally grateful for this one little thing because it would bring mobility back to her and it would allow her to carry her kid and allow her to go back to work. And, um, you know, those things are invaluable when you're living on dollars a day or pennies a day. 
Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, did she, did she get, and she got relief from the spaces? Yeah, she did. It was uh-huh. really amazing. Um, yeah, we saw her a few days later and it was all, I mean, the beautiful thing about physical therapy and with a, something like a disc is you can often see results pretty quickly once mm-hmm. you start, right. once you start implementing them. Oh, cool. Yeah. This trip coming up is your first funded trip? Yeah. Or, okay. So, and up to this point, you have been funding or supporting other... Up to this point, we've been strictly fundraising. Okay. And it actually took us about two and a half years to get our 501c3. Um, so, yeah. So, this will be our first fully funded trip from donations that we've received. Oh, um, cool. So, you started yeah. 2014 and you've been collecting and reselling purses for the last yeah. four years. And now you're about to take your first yeah. trip. Oh wow! So yeah. I'm catching you at the at the perfect yeah, time. Yeah, it's I mean it's a big deal, and and now we're now that we're starting, we're looking at um, annual trips, if not biannual. Okay. And we're looking at hopefully doubling every year is the plan. Okay, and so this is the trip to Kenya. This is actually to Iquitos, Peru. Okay. So I was planning to go to Kenya on my own initially, and that was just kind of a frivolous pick to place. Um, the reason we settled on Peru was because. I did quite a bit of research when I was looking at partnerships in other countries, and um, I was shocked and saddened at how many organizations have insane overhead costs. Like they, they have fees of two, three, four thousand dollars for a couple of weeks, and many of them could not tell me what their people were doing on the ground. Hmm. They could not tell me their impact. Um, they said, oh, you know, you might be shadowing or you might be at this orphanage or you might be doing this and that. And um, having been in this uh, in- industry, if you could call it that, for a few years now, I've discovered the overwhelmingly disheartening amount of volunteer work that really does more harm than good. There's an absurd amount of um, voluntourism and sort of these organizations, well-meaning people, showing up to do meaningful work, and they end up, you know, for example, hanging out in an orphanage for a week and playing with the kids and teaching them things and working with those kids. Imagine for that child what it must be like to have foreigners, you know, wealthy foreigners, come into your world for a week, get attached to them, and then never see them again, and have that happen week after week after week after week for your childhood. Um, And... You know, there's a lot more information coming out about this now, but it's we have to be really careful about the kind of work we do. It's not just I'm going to go in and save the world, and that was very much my mentality when I started this. I won't, you know, I'll be candid about that. Is I came in with a sort of I want to save the world. I'm meant for something bigger. And now that I've been in it for four years, and now that I've seen this stuff on the ground, I realize how very careful we have to be about our impact and the things that we are doing intentionally in other countries. Is it's not just show up, hang out, shadow, um, give some supplies and leave or stitch up some wounds and leave. You need to leave people with meaningful, empowering tools so that they can better their lives on their own when you're gone. Um, And that's why nurses are so pivotal in this movement of improving um, living situations and healthcare in other countries because we are the cornerstone of education in the healthcare field. That's what we do half of our job easily is education. You have diabetes, I'm going to teach you how to manage that. You have this cut, I'm going to dress it and fix it, but then I'm going to teach you how to take care of it. Um, it's it's imperative that we are empowering and that we're not just trying to go in and 
you know, white savior sort of complex and fix things. All right. Yeah. This is great. This is great. Thank you for for the story. Thank you for your pleasure. So first off, uh, just a huge thank you to both of my guests. I had a great time talking with both of them and getting to know them and their organizations, and I look forward to following everything that they do in the future. Particularly, I will say that um, Purses for Nurses, this is May 2018. Um, They are about to go on their very first funded trip after years of fundraising. So I suggest following along with their trip. Uh, You can... Uh, they're on a lot of the social media channels. Everything you can uh, link to through my website, nonprofittangent.com, um, including the blog where they'll be updating things, and they've already got a lot of information about their upcoming trip and how they could be supported and things like that. Um, one other thing, I'm just going to put out a call for, in addition to um, interviews, if you know any nonprofits that are interested in being interviewed, uh, I would love to get in touch with some musicians who might share a few songs with me so I don't have to go online and try to find free music to put on the um, you know, put on the podcast. I think that would be cool if we get some New York City musicians who would like to share some songs. Ideally, they'd be instrumental songs. And uh, certainly, it would be really cool to do some songs from countries um, that I cover that are outside the United States. So, again, if you know any interviews, you know any uh, musicians who are interested, please put them in touch. And uh, that's it. Catch you next time. Is your apartment just like completely stacked with boxes of uh, purses? Um, Parts of it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say, like, I have a loft, so they're out of sight. But when you get into that loft, it's rather terrifying.